I have to tell you again, you'll probably, I don't know, I try to tell you a lot, but I love hearing the sound of the people of God pray. There isn't a sound I like better, not even singing. I love singing, but there isn't a sound I like better than hearing the murmur of the people of God in prayer. And I just tell you that because I, I love to encourage it, and I think there isn't anything more significant that we can do collectively, not the preaching, not the eating, not the talking, but the praying. That's powerful stuff. And um, so, anyway, just to plug in there that I love hearing your voices in prayer. Peter, thank you for preaching to us about mushrooms. We're talking this morning about a perfect place, and I've enjoyed hearing Peter's teaching on mushrooms. I knew, I had just recently heard about the whole mushroom thing, actually, before Peter started preaching it, but he's made a really good use of the mushroom concept, and I'm not going to steal that from him today, but I'll just bring it up because I think, as, as I teach this morning, that you can think of relevant connections between what Peter and I have been teaching. We haven't actually planned too much on this, but we have a strong desire, a strong longing for the people of God in this 2022 to, to be very much about God's business. And so you've heard that come up in what Peter's been teaching and what I've been teaching, and today what I'll be teaching again in this teaching, a perfect place. And I want to just throw out to you to begin, I want to ask you the question, what Bible stories come to mind about individuals who were uniquely placed for a moment of opportunity or mission? And in this case, I'm not so much talking about people who traveled somewhere, but for, of people who found themselves in a unique mission location. Any names come to mind this morning? Esther, Esther. Esther yes. Esther is one of those. In fact, the, her uncle Mordecai called it out to her. You may be in your place for such a time as this. It's worth taking a minute to think about that. Have you ever thought to yourself, looking out your kitchen window, washing your dishes in your neighborhood, that your place in that house in 2022 is just as providential as Esther's place in the palace of Persia. You know, we can, we can get it in our heads. In fact, let, let's do this song and then we'll come back to this discussion. You may have heard this song. Uh, Bright in the corner where you are. Anybody remember that song? I don't know if I'm as brave as Peter. Peter gets his guitar and, and does some singing, but maybe we'll try. Um, Do not wait until some deed of greatness you may do. Do not wait to shed your light afar. To the many duties ever near you now be true. Brighten the corner where, where you are. Brighten the corner where you are. Brighten the corner where you are. 
Someone far from harbor you may guide across the bar, bright in the corner where you are. I'll read the next ones just above our clouded skies that you may help to clear. Let not narrow self your way debar, though into one heart alone may fall your song of cheer, brighten the corner where you are. Here for all your talent you may surely find a need. Here reflect the bright and morning star, even from your humble hand, the bread of life may feed, brighten the corner where you are. What a song! You know, it's an old song. But so fitting for today's, the place we are. And that's what I want you to think about this morning, that the whole entire point this morning is for us to really take in that the place we are maybe is providential. In fact, I'm just going to say it. I'm, I'm going to take the may out. The place you are is as providential as the place where Esther was. You know, I remember my mom, kitchen table conversation, and uh, she was just complaining about the fact that she felt my dad had a job, and he at the time, I, I don't remember what state we were in specifically, but he has been working, he has been working in the printing industry for almost my whole life. Well, we won't talk about that. I was going to say 20, but I just realized that was way off the mark. Anyway, um, printing industry. I grew up going to the print shop with my dad, and I would, um, it's the smell of print shop grease and fresh ink. If you've ever been in a print shop that prints on actual paper without copy machines, but with real ink. Um, when I was in high school, I, was, I did layout and design for the print shop. Uh, so printing has been... My, that was the ambiance I grew up in as far as my, job, my dad's work. But anyway, my mom was at, at the kitchen table, was in the kitchen, not the kitchen, the dining room. And for some reason it came up and my mom was choked up and, and just commented on how she felt like she never had a place in ministry. And I wonder how many of us tend to dismiss the place we are as insignificant. Listen, Esther could have looked at her life on some scale as being a catastrophe. It wasn't all bells and whistles being in the palace. I Just look at the royal family. We won't think about it a lot, but the, the, the royal family has had, what is it? Is it Megan? Is that right? And I'm sorry, you can see that I'm very connected to the royal family. But Megan and tell me, who is it? Her husband. Harry, thank you. I could not get that. The H was not coming through. But aren't they the ones that kind of have pulled out of the royal family? I got that part right. But part of it's because of the stress that... They're under. Megan's been in that again. I'm not going to get up here to try to figure it all out. You know that I'm fairly ignorant. But I have, I have enough of an insight. I've read a couple of things where there has been a significant experience of pressure 
on Megan's part. I don't know if that's all of what's going on, but I just point to that for us to know that just because Esther ends up in the palace doesn't mean that's all a good story. Not back then. She didn't get the dating Prince Harry thing. This was a far different scenario. So Esther could have looked at her circumstances and completely, in spite of the opportunity that was right there, she could have missed it. I don't know that she did miss it. Mordecai made sure she didn't miss it. And I say that just to to highlight that you and I can be in places or Let me rephrase that again. You and I are in places of opportunity and even in places of outstanding opportunity, we run the risk of overlooking it. Can you think of Esther's positioning? It's in between the, it's after the kind of the Babylonian exile that this first one They're taken off by the Babylonians. I guess there was only one major exile, but they're taken off by the Babylonians. And and then the Persians come along, and it's around that time frame when Esther shows up, and she is uniquely positioned. Do you think that Esther thought, boy, God is doing something great when she's lined up as one of those young ladies? Who knows? Did she have an aspiration to go to the palace? Hollywood says she did. That's probably not true. She was probably very happy to be a little Hebrew girl growing up to marry another Hebrew young man and just live a a Hebrew life. Being rounded up in the king's harem was not probably on her radar screen. Did she see it as providential? I'm guessing she didn't. Did Joseph see his time in the pit as providential? And so these stories help us to to start to reframe, to remind us that we need to start recognizing that it's not a place we're going to be. It's not a place God's getting us ready for. It's the place we are. That right now is the perfect place for you. Now, that pit was the perfect place, but it was also a perfect place for a season. Was the pit that Joseph found himself in God's purpose for Joseph? No. But it was used as God worked through Joseph from one place to another. But to the story of Esther, she didn't know that God was going to use this appointment. And then she found herself in the palace for such a time as this. Her people, in fact, the Pine Tree Academy kids just celebrated Purim. That was the feast that came from that very detailed description at the end of Esther, how they made sure that this feast would be a regular celebration of God's providence. Anyone else that found themselves in a, in a perfect place? Daniel. Yeah, the, <laughs> Daniel's taken as an exile. That's not a good thing. There are things that happened to the male exiles who ended up in the palace that were not good things. But Daniel had influence in two empires. Can you imagine? We look at 
what's happening in Washington. But there are individuals who have been placed strategically on the inner circles of Washington. It wouldn't be a stretch to include Russia and China. Do those governments necessarily respond to the wisdom of the people that God has allowed to be or put in those places? Not necessarily, but they're placed there. You in your career, you think this is a career that you have all worked out and certainly you've put your sweat and tears into the place you are. You, you have gone to school, gotten the degrees, whatever it is to get where you are. Yes, that's all part of the process, but God works in that process. The job you're at, is the perfect place for you to be right now. This isn't to deny the biblical idea of mission work, of the going work, Philip traveling to Asia and um, others ending up in, uh, I'm not sure, one of the apostles ends up, is it Thomas ends up down in Africa. There is the going. For sure, we need to be doing the going. Seventh-day Adventist Church, had, we have a global church and a global sensitivity to the fact that our mission is not just local. But I'm here to tell you this morning that you and I need to live first with the conviction that the place we are now is a providentially perfect place. Those inconvenient road trips, those long hours at work, Certainly, there's a question of balance, but then there's the other side of not losing the fact of saying, okay, God, I'm here. And right now, right here is the place I need to be. What are you doing where I'm at now? Where are you about to show up now? What are you trying to accomplish? In what sense am I like Esther or Joseph or Daniel? And there's something you're doing or need to do that I'm strategically placed to be a part of. And I'm not saying that every, every moment in that place is going to leave you with some sense of, with spiritual conversation opportunities. In fact, it's noted that Esther does not ever mention the name of God. And yet clearly the book is a book about the story of God. So your presence isn't always directly going to translate into spiritual intervention or spiritual, well, it'll be spiritual intervention because you're going to pray, but it won't necessarily translate into spiritual conversation. That may be someone else's moment. You know, Paul talked about, you know, Apollos watering, and then this idea that there is a multitude of influences. Your perfect place is to stand in your spot and be what God needs you to be in that moment. I want you to look with me at a text here. This one is in. We're going to go to a story, a perfect place story. But I want you to look with me at a couple of verses, two of them. This passage is Matthew 5. You are the what? What are you? Who's the light? Yes, you are the light. Yeah, I mean, listen, who's the light? I want you to say, I am the light. Is that what Jesus just said? Now, we're not discounting that the fact that the greater light of the world in us is the reason that that is true of us. But you are the light. I am the light. In your neighborhood, you are 
the light through which the glory of God shines. We take for granted that fact that we're strategically placed, that where we are is a place to be light emitters. You are like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. That's you. Jesus specifically is talking about you, and I'm including me in that you. We're that light. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket. Instead, a, excuse me, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the office and the neighborhood, where it gives light to everyone in the classroom, where it gives light to everyone on your social media page where it gives light maybe even to the people in traffic beside you because when they cut you off, they don't get angry words or stares. It gives light to everyone in the grocery store aisle who happens to walk past you. You are the light of the world. I want you to take that in really, truly, how often do we overlook and take for granted the significance of our being here, our knowing God, and of the gift God intends for us to be in this particular place and circumstance. Here's another one. This one is Isaiah 58, which we visited earlier this year. Oops, I'm sorry. Isaiah 58 is coming up. This is the rest of Matthew 5. This is verse 16, the rest of this passage. In the same way, let your good deeds, what? Shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. It's interesting here that Jesus says the light are the good deeds. I was reading John this week or summarizing John, John chapter 5. What struck me this week is actually the same thing that's in this text. As I was looking at John chapter 5, I even, I texted a friend. I'll read you the text, the, the verse that I sent this friend. And it is John chapter 5, and this is 36. I have a test I have testimony weightier than that of John Jesus speaking for the works that the father has given me to finish the very works that I am doing testify that the father has sent me and it hit me Jesus miracle ministry was the validation of his messiahship that's very interesting because I've, I, I haven't really thought about the miracle healing ministry of Jesus as the evidence of his connection to God. But Jesus says right to his enemies that his testimony that had more weight than the testimony of John was the works he did. 
we sometimes think that the most important thing about us as believers are the things we say. But it's interesting that Matthew 5 says that the light is what? Good deeds. That's interesting. Now, make no mistake about it. What you believe and what you say is significant. But the power of all of that begins with what you do. Because the gospel in the heart creates a certain kind of person. And that certain kind of person does and behaves in certain ways with the people around them. And then it naturally follows that conversations arise, that the story begins to be told, but it's grounded in this doing of good deeds. That's why, as a mission statement, we have the slow, steady hum of deeds done to relieve suffering and meet needs. The testimony of Jesus' authenticity as Messiah were the actions. If you look at the Old Testament story, God has one big beef with His people. And that is that over and over He calls them out for the injustice that's perpetrated in society, especially against the vulnerable. So over and over and over in the Old Testament, you have this this God calling His people to account for not acting in the interests of the well-being of the marginalized. And I think that's one of the reasons that when Jesus came, He could say, the testimony of my authenticity are the deeds that I do, because the deeds that He did directly demonstrated his connection to the God of the Old Testament who stood for the marginalized and the ignored. And so your light is the way you treat the people around you as the gospel infuses you with good kindness and that shows up in your neighborhood, in your house, in your office place. That is the crowning evidence that something big is happening in your heart. And that's meant to unfold right in the place you are. Now to Isaiah 58. Feed the hungry, help those in trouble. Then your what? Light will shine out from where? The darkness. And the darkness around you will what? Be as bright as noon. Listen, you are in the perfect place. And as you live the goodness of God in that place, you will literally begin turning. And I should also say, you are turning because I know that you are living the goodness of God, at least to some degree in your neighborhood. And this morning, I'm only encouraging you to keep living it out and to own the fact that you are where you are for a purpose, that you are Esther, you are Daniel, you are Joseph. It's not just their story, it's your story. And it's your story even if you're one lonely person on the back hall of a retirement home. 
And it's your story if you're one neighbor at the back of a cul-de-sac. And it's your story if you're one person in a back office that everybody walks past because what you do isn't really a social thing, it's a number-crunching thing. Wherever you are, significant or insignificant in appearance, you are an Esther, a Daniel, a Joseph, perfectly placed. It doesn't need to be a grand story. It is a grand story because God is in the middle of your story right where it's unfolding. Sure, maybe he's getting you ready for the next phase in your story. In fact, I guarantee you he is. Our stories are always unfolding. We're in the perfect place now. We may move to the next perfect place. Let your light shine where you're at. God will prepare you to shine wherever else he needs you next. Just like Joseph, just like Esther. Esther was as much in her place of providence, sweeping the house for Uncle Mordecai as she was when she walked in the palace of the Persian king. I want to invite you to think of three things, or four, five things, in relationship to the place you are. Number one, live authentically. And by living authentically, I just mean live your life. Be connected to God. We, owe, we, we take for granted not only that the place we are is the place that we're meant to be, that, that, we, that God can use us now, but we also take for granted that living life authentically is far more powerful than we imagine. We just heard, my, my family just watched a video, which actually I'm going to show here at some point, of a friend in Sitka, Alaska, our last church. Her name was Sa is Sally. And we had no idea the impact we were making on her life by just being her friend it was a powerful reminder that when we think of mission, we often think of something we do or something we try to accomplish. The most important thing you can do is just be connected to God every day. That's it. That's the most important thing you can do. It's not some strategic saying you come up with. It's not some list of Bible texts. Hey, listen, learning to interact with people, learning your Bible, that matters. That's important, but that's not the power source. That's not the core of your witness. The core of how you live is just you being you filled with the grace of God. That's it. Just be authentically filled with the grace of God. Be you filled with God. And as you're you filled with God, God is showing up. People sense God even if they don't put a name on it. They may not know that you're a Christian necessarily, but they can tell that you have an ambiance. Without opening your mouth, you have an ambiance of grace surrounding you in that place, in that office cubicle, on that neighborhood street. So number one, just be authentic. Be authentically sold out to God and just live loving people. And God's getting His work done through you. Number two, pray. Pray for those neighbors of yours, those workmates. If you see them having a hard day, pray for them. Your neighbor's truck breaks down, help fix the truck and pray for your neighbor. What are some of the things you could pray for? Just, just call them out this morning. Tell me, maybe real life situations. What are some of the things you could pray for that you're aware of in your neighborhood? Help. Help. Health. 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 Okay, health. Yes. 
poor health. Neighbors have poor health. And we can get specific. A neighbor has COVID. Pray for that. A neighbor has congestive heart failure. Pray for that. It's not just that it ends with praying, but somehow praying gets our caring in gear. Praying gets our caring in gear. Once we start to pray, we start to care more than we did before. What other other ways that you've heard of in your neighborhood or town or office that might matter to pray for? Pray for the decisions the town is making. Yes. Anything else? Come on. There, you, you know more about your neighbors than you're letting on this morning. Family relationships. Yes. Good. New parents. Losses. Yes. Finances. And when you're praying, you're doing two things. Number one, you're interceding on behalf of your neighbors. That makes a difference in the grand scheme of things. But number two, you're becoming aware and being intentional and thinking about them. And so number two, you are at least indirectly expressing an openness for God to use you in meaningful ways to meet those needs. Now, maybe you need to be intentional in thinking about that, but the implication is that we're praying for the needs, becoming aware, interceding. That has its own kind of power, but we're also expressing an openness to God, plugging us in. Now, you may have to wrestle with that a little bit, but God's going to want to plug you in because you may be the person who's needed to help mend the relationship. You may be the person who's needed to help step into that financial crisis. And that brings me to number three. Know your neighbors. And you could actually flip number two and three if you wanted to. But number three is know your neighbors. Like, actually be a friend to them. Become acquainted with them. Not to give them something or to tell them about your faith. Just because you love them. Care for them. Become familiar. The telling your story, that, that part may come. But love your neighbors. Become familiar with them so you know which health crisis it is they need prayed for. So you know which financial issue. Maybe they need approval for, for a refinancing. Now you know what to pray for. Please guide them as they're working on refinancing their house. Okay, we, maybe there's not just pray for the town's decisions, but maybe the town is talking about a specific problem, and we pray for that specific problem. Maybe we make some phone calls. Maybe we show up. Because now we're becoming invested on our knees in our prayer time. We're becoming invested in our relationships. We're becoming invested. And this is opening doors for us to do the good works, right? Because that's what it said. The good works are the evidence. Was the evidence of Jesus' messiahship. And that's the light, the light that shines, right? Let your light so shine. And then he said, it's the good works you do that lead people to say, hey, praise God for that neighbor. Number four, tell your story. Don't be afraid to tell your story when, when, when you're interacting with neighbors, coworkers, and it just is convenient to talk about what God's doing in your life. Mention it. Don't go overboard to mention to go out of your way and make awkward situations. But hey, own the fact that God's in your life and making a difference. Just authentically let that be part of your story. Like, don't hide the fact that you walk with God and that He makes a difference in your life. When it is convenient when the opportunity comes up on the circumstances align. Tell that piece of your story. There'll be other opportunities when you can have longer conversations. Some of them will surprise you. Some of them will be 
opportunities you're praying for, God will help you know how to walk into those. But the first one, live authentically. Just be a person committed to God and understand that you're authentically showing up in your place is the most important part you can do. Show up for God right where you are. We hope you were blessed by today's message. For more content or to connect with us, visit us online at brunswickadventist.church.com.